Welcome to the Clifford Chance Careers Podcast. In this series, we're celebrating and highlighting the cultures that make us who we are and that shape the diversity of experiences and voices at Clifford Chance. In this particular episode today, we'll be focusing on the Buddhist celebration of Dharma Day, which marks the beginning of Buddha's teaching. By way of introduction, I'm Adam Suleiman, and I'm a recruitment specialist here at Clifford Chance. Today, I'm very pleased to be speaking with the London Buddhist Centre and its chair, Surya Gupta. Thanks for joining me today, Surya Gupta. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me, Adam. No, no, it's an absolute pleasure. So, uh, first of all, perhaps, Surya Gupta, you can introduce yourself and the London Buddhist Centre. Okay. So, um, well, the London Buddhist Centre, I'll start there. We're um, based in Bethnal Green in East London, and um, we're very sort of... Um, I would say a very vibrant community. Um, we have the actual centre where we run activities and, and, and courses and, uh, and events. There's a number of um, residential communities um, at the Buddhist centre as well, as well as around in the surrounding area. That's where people basically live together to practice. Uh, we have a restaurant, a couple of shops, so and we have a retreat centre in Suffolk. So we're quite an extensive, um, large um, sort of a community. And um, I've been involved at London Buddhist Centre for um, a very long time, and I've been its chair now for just two uh, years. Um, being the chair is like is like being the the CEO, as it were, and sort of have to have a an eye on the organisation um, and its organisation development, and as well as being the spiritual guide, um, being a somebody that can you know, lead the sort of vision, as it were, um, of the of the community and and hopefully inspire people and support people along the way. So that's, um, that's uh, what it means to be chair. And um, for me, um, as I said, I've been involved there for, for a very long time. And um, it, as a practitioner, as somebody who was going along to the community and then when I got ordained um, teaching at the, at the centre as well, um, I also uh, coupled that with I'm a, I'm a mum. Um, I've um, and I've been a sort of um, I've done work out outside of the Buddhist Centre. So I am a leadership sort of facilitator. I'm a coach. Um, these are things I was doing really before, very fully before being chair and artist as well. So um, yes, I sort of uh, have a number of things. I guess a number of things, other different interests. But right now, most of my time, all of my time, really is spent, um, you know, working for the centre. Wow, you wear you wear a lot of hats, and hats yeah. off to you for that. So uh, I noticed you mentioned that you were ordained into uh, the, uh, the uh, I'm assuming Buddhism. Um, yeah. Could you enlighten me on that? What does what that What does that mean? Actually, it was my it was my order birthday a few days ago. So that means that uh, how many years ago? A couple of decades ago now. I was ordained, which basically means I committed myself to fully living a Buddhist life uh, for the rest of my life. Even though I really had a lot of appreciation for, um, you know, things in the Bible and, and, and Jesus as a, as a sort of um, spiritual teacher, as it were, um, I, I, I wanted a path that was very practical. Um, I wanted a path that I could, yeah, just live, live a full life. Um, you know, actually, I wanted a path that I thought I could actually increase my own well-being and happiness. Um, and that I could apply that would make a difference to me and the world. And uh, I saw Buddhism as, as helping me do that. And as I said, I spent a few years just discovering it, working it out, discovering myself, because a core part of Buddhism is obviously meditation, and you are discovering yourself during that. And then a point came where I thought, 
right, this is it. You can't, even if I said I want to be ordained, there's still a training process. So the wow. training process helped me understand it even more deeply. And you have other people who are ordained helping you in that process. And then a point came where they felt I was ready to be ordained and I felt I was ready to be ordained. And I went on a retreat, a special retreat with other people, other, other women. I was ordained by a woman um, and, um, and I got my name. That's where I received my name, Surya Gupta. You don't know oh, the name wow. you're going to get. Um, you know, it's, it's, you have to trust <laughs> that, is, that you're going to like it. Um, but the name is there as a sort of reminder about what your true qualities are. So my name means um, she who is protected or guarded by the sun. And the sun wow. being an epithet of the Buddha, but also the qualities of the sun, warmth, clarity, energy. Um, so, so yes, I'm, I'm reminded that that's who I truly am. And part of my journey, therefore, from ordination is to discover that more and more and become that. Wow. Because I thought, I thought it was your name, perhaps, uh, that was where, you know, uh, that was your heritage. You know, you were, no. you were born into it, but uh, clearly, clearly not. No, I was, I'm an um, African-Caribbean background, so um, I, was, I had an English-sounding name, which I have to say never sounded right to me. Um, <laughs> I, you know, even from a young child, I was like, why have I got this name? It just didn't quite fit for me. So hmm. I, was, I was actually pleased to actually receive a name that had a real... Um, meaning for me yeah excellent wow excellent so uh where did buddhism originate and you know where, where can it be found yeah. today so buddhism originated in india northern india and um it's really it really it really spread across asia asia for the for the um you know actually it was 2500 years ago the buddha was teaching and um you know people the followers really spread it all across asia um, and um, so Japan, China have very, very deep uh, Buddhist roots. Um, it was in the, it was this century though, um, or was it last century now, 1950s, 1940s, 50s, um, where Buddhism began to spread uh, in, the, in the West. Um, so, and that's where now you have, you know, many Buddhist groups operating, you know, in Europe, in the Americas and, and around the world. Um, but for many centuries, it was for a long time. It was it was in um, it was predominantly in, in Asia. Um, I don't know where Buddhism isn't. I just know that you you'll find different Buddhist groups all over all over the world now. Um, and um, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, it's amazing how the, you know spread uh, your the, the religion is. You know, as you mentioned, it's all across the world. So Dharma Day. Let's talk about that. What what, mm-hmm. what is it? So Dharma Day, there's a number of festivals in the, in the Buddhist calendar that all Buddhist, or at least vast majority of Buddhist groups, um, Buddhist communities will celebrate. And Dharma Day is, is basically celebrating the time, the first, the first teaching that the Buddha gave. So the Buddha, Buddha um, I said he was born 2,500 years ago. There's a historical Buddha, and Buddha just means someone who's awake, uh, enlightened, an enlightened being. There's been many uh, enlightened beings uh, through the ages, but he was the first one, as it were, who discovered, who didn't just become enlightened, but discovered the path to enlightenment. And I said to you, that's one of the things that really attracted me to Buddhism. It wasn't just that there was an inspirational historical figure, as it were, called the Buddha, um, but actually that the the, the teachings, and there's there's a very clear path to how you develop those qualities yourself. 
Uh, and that's what I, I liked about it. So the, the Buddha, the Dharma day is where the Buddha started his very first teaching. Um, and we call it Wesat as well, which is, it's, yeah, he's, we call it ter- where he turned the wheel of the Dharma. He set in motion the Dharma. Dharma means truth. Um, it means ultimate reality. Um, so what the Buddha did at that, or at that first teaching was say, this is how you attain truth. This is how you find ultimate fulfillment. This is how you become enlightened. He gave his very first teaching. And we celebrate that because, well, we would, I wouldn't be here talking to you if I didn't have teachings to follow. I could admire the Buddha, um, you know, as a historical person, but it's the teachings that has, has made, enabled me to be an actual Buddhist and me actually putting them into practice in my life. So we basically um, really celebrate that him, him revealing the teachings, as it were, and enabling people to practice in the way that, you know, in the way that he, he's, he shared. So why is it, you know, why is it an important celebration to Buddhism? Because um, the thing about what, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's not unique to Buddhism, this, but it's a very particular thing about the Buddhism, but you can't, it's not just about adopting a set of beliefs. It's not just about going, well, I, I believe this, I believe that, therefore I'm a Buddhist. It is about the practice of it. It is about living it. Um, and in a way, you can only, um, you know, pass on the teachings if you're living it yourself. So it's not enough to read a book on Buddhism. You have to think, okay, what does it mean for me? How do I do this? And you need people who are living it to show you how to do it, as it were. So for me, I, I, I remember reading my first Dharma book, my first book of teaching, and it all made complete sense to me. I felt it was talking directly to my experience, and which is quite something being a, you know, as I was then young, you know, woman from the east end of London, uh, from an African-Caribbean background. I read a Buddhist book and I felt it was talking to me. But then I thought, well, how do I live this? And I then had to meet other Buddhists to see how they lived it and how they adapted the teachings in their life and according to their personality and to their circumstances. So in a way, the Dharma Day, what what we're celebrating Dharma Day is the original Buddha, as it were, who said, showed us the path, but we're also celebrating all those people through the generations who've put the teachings into practice and I like to think of it as like passing on the banner, if you like, passing on the baton and going, here, now you can do this. Um, without that continuity, without people living the teachings and practicing and working it out for themselves, then Buddhism would have, would have, um, would have died out. So how do you or the Buddhist community celebrate Dharma Day? I mean, does everyone celebrate it in the same way? I know you sort of touched on that just now. Yeah. Um, well, as I said, we have a number of festivals um, and Dharma Day is a key one. Um, and what we do, what we're doing on Sunday is where uh, the community will gather. Obviously, it's now online <laughs> because of uh, being coming up with lockdown. Um, but we would normally gather in large numbers. And we would basically hear the teachings. You know, we hear different people lead the festival. It's a whole festival. So um, people would share teachings. We would have some poetry, sometimes music. Um, we have a children's event so they can hear the Dharma. Um, and um, and there'd be maybe a keynote, keynote speaker. Uh, there'd be a ritual in the evening. And a key thing about uh, all our festivals and Dharma Day included is that we also give an opportunity for those people who feel like, you know what, I'm, I want to take Buddhism a bit more seriously. They're not, they're not ready to commit their whole lives to it. That's the whole thing. 
but they're kind of going, I think I'm a Buddhist. I think I'm a Buddhist and I want people to treat me as a Buddhist and I want to say to myself I'm a Buddhist. So we have this public ceremony whereby people can make that declaration that they're, they're, they're interested in Buddhists, they consider themselves to be a Buddhist and they want to find out more. And that's a real celebration because that's a really significant moment in somebody's life where they're going from a sort of almost like a consumer and going, let me just check this course out, let me go on this retreat, let me figure, you know, read a few books to going, no, this really matters to me and I want to find out more and I want to try and live as a Buddhist. So we have those celebrations as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, is there a, a particular memory related to these celebrations that you remember the most yourself? Well, as I said, we, we have a, I think we have about five, six different festivals in the course of the, the calendar. Um, I guess the one that sticks out is not a Dharma Day uh, one for me, only because it's the one that sticks out was the, was the one where I declared myself to be a Buddhist, publicly as it were. So that's the one that I remember most because it was, it was like an important step for me. But for now, fast, fast forwarding to now, um, I, um, on, on Dharma Day, on this Dharma Day, I'll be, I'll be a chair um, helping to, um, well, conducting a ceremony for the people that want to become Buddhist. And um, that's very special for me because I remember the moment where I took that step. I sort of know the significance of it for them. And I really want to make it as a wonderful ceremony and occasion that they will remember and that they'll, they'll be able to draw from as well. When, when times get, you know, tricky as it does in life, they'll be able to remember why they took that step, what their, what their aspirations were, um, and the support of the community. Um, so those are really special. And, and we'll be having, I think, 10, 10 people uh, on this Dharma Day make, taking that step. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. You sort of touched on uh, about online there, actually. So it kind of leads me on to my next question. I mean, how has the London Buddhist Centre been, you know, supporting its members during these particularly stressful times? You know, mainly thinking about, you know, COVID-19, how you've adjusted. Um, mm -hmm. Perhaps you've had to support your members and we've seen increasing levels of racism, you know, fa faced by East Asian communities. You know, you see, you've seen what Trump's been saying, saying it's a, it's a Chinese virus, etc. So, right, you know, there's been right, experiencing yeah. levels of racism. Um, and, you know, lastly, what about, you know, uh, recent events of, uh, you know, George, George Floyd and, you know, the Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter protests? You know, mm -hmm. how, how has mm -hmm. the London Buddhist Centre adjusted and perhaps had to support its members? Mm. Great question, Adam. Um, so, so basically, we were, we were like all other organisations and religious organisations, um, we had to close our doors and we, we had an online presence um, prior to that because what we normally do, we have our in-person events at the centre and we'd always put them on YouTube so that, you know, because we, we have different followers from around, around, the, around the world really, often who've come to contact with us in London on their travels and things like that and then gone away again. So um, we've always did that, but suddenly we had to put everything online <laughs> Um, and for, for probably a week or two, we, we were trying to figure out, you know, how to do that. In, in a sense, we, we knew we just had to talk to the camera, as it were. That was straightforward. But we had so many events. I don't know. I can't even count the number of events we had. We had prior to lockdown. We were a very busy centre. You know, hundreds of people would walk through that centre door and uh, to do all kinds of different things there from our secular mindfulness. We have a carers project. We have schools coming in. You know, we're very busy. So 
we basically scaled back and we thought we just have to put our essential teachings online and then we extended it to our, our body work, our yoga, qigong, um, um, and then we've basically grown it from there and now we're doing, you know, big actually. I mean, the great thing about it is that we can now scale up. One of the problems we had prior to lockdown is that, you know, our, our buildings would just get full, you know, uh, at any given night we'd be we'd reach capacity and we would we would be thinking how we some people wouldn't come because it was so busy so now of course we can have huge numbers at our event and it's our events has been fantastic um our retreat center is closed though and we have a beautiful uh, purpose-built uh, retreat center in in uh, in suffolk um if you ever get the chance to come you just love it people fall in love with it um and that's closed and, and we're figuring that out. So what we're going to do there, whether we can have social distancing retreats. What I did as chair was really think about how I can help my community and also work in the general community as well. So I've been meeting with the local mayor, John Biggs, um, you know, for, you know, we've been meeting, religious leaders have been meeting and thinking these issues through, thinking about how we serve our immediate community, but how we can serve the broader community as well and and for us at the buddhist center that has been about trying to you know really um make our events as accessible as possible and so that doesn't mean that we just teach people who are interested in buddhism of course that teach that we, we're very aware of the mental health crisis so one of our teachers is a, a senior psychiatrist for example who we've been putting on mindfulness events for stress and anxiety for low mood we've been doing some events for our carers you know um so we've really we've tried to think what does the community at large need and how can we reach them. I think we've we've got we've got more we can do in that area, but we've certainly got the um, ability and the interest to do that, and we and we've been doing that for the last uh, few weeks. So yeah, I mean in a way that was quite something, isn't it? Have having a COVID an unprecedented experience for the whole world, and then you know almost as if we were as we were coming out of lockdown, just beginning to tentatively come out of lockdown. We have what I, you know, this uh, uh, the, the kind of uprising. We have a protest around race, the biggest in my lifetime. Um, and actually, I, I had the pleasure to meet Angela Davis last year uh, in America. And, um, you know, I was hearing her say, um, you know, that it's the biggest in her, in her lifetime, too. And she was, you know, their Black Panther movement and all of that. So I'm just like, goodness me, how do, how do we respond? And also personally, um, how do I respond? I'm a, I'm a black chair. I'm deeply affected by these events, like most people of color, most black people I know. Um, so what I've been doing and what we were doing even before this happened, we've been doing it for years, actually. We have a people of color group. Um, about three years ago, I, I got back involved in that. You know, I've been involved. I was back involved when I was young and, you know, needing it myself. And then I, when I got ordained, I was helping the activities. And then I took some time out, you know, when I was doing my work and being a mom and things like that. And, and a few years ago, I got back involved in it, really wanting to see how we could have more people of color involved at the center. And, and, and we were running weekly online events. Um, so we had a people of color retreat in March, which was just fantastic, just before we shut down. And then when uh, we had lockdown, we started going online. And, and that's been a real um, source of um, support for people um, because, who are actually really deeply affected by, by these events. What we do still, though, like other organizations, um, have to look at, um, you know, what can we do to make it even more inclusive? 
so in February, as chair, you know, we I agree. I got you know our, our trustees agreed that diversity and inclusion needed to be a core priority of ours. And the what's happened, you know, with the with George Floyd and the protest has just really accelerated that 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 for us. So we are really actively thinking about, you know, how we can be even more inclusive than we are, have more of a diverse, but also really look at, um, you know, are there things that we're doing that that don't don't, that don't help? Um, so that's the conversation we're in. I've been I've I've been uh, my involvement there is just to support the trustees, support our team, to encourage them to have conversations, to look at these issues. Um, and think about how does how does the teaching how does the dharma apply to this? Do you want to use around that? Excellent. I mean, it seems like you're doing some real, real fascinating and amazing work, and that's you know probably wouldn't people wouldn't expect, but you know it seems like there's access for everybody. So I guess that, look, yeah. that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Surugupta, for joining me. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Great question. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about the London Buddhist Centre, please visit uh, www.lbc.org. You can also find the London Buddhist Centre on Instagram and Twitter. So you've been listening to the Clifford Chance Celebrating Culture podcast. Don't forget to sub- subscribe to our channel to stay up to date for future episodes coming soon. Um, and to find out more about Clifford Chance, please visit our website at www.cliffordchance.com. 